0: All right, well, we're in week four of our series Pioneer, and here's what we've been saying. We're all pioneers. You are. I am. Because pioneers are people who step into unfamiliar and uncertain and unknown territory, hoping for a better future. And every day of our lives, we're stepping into unfamiliar and unknown territory, and we're hoping that something about our action and our words and our decisions will build a better future for ourselves and for those that we care about the most. And so we've been asking the question, How do you pioneer with confidence without losing your mind to fear? We can do that. Here's the answer to that. We can do that when we're absolutely confident that God is with us, that he's for us, and that he's working through us. And now... Today, what I want to do is I want to talk about something that could happen in our minds and potentially has happened in your mind or maybe in your life and and therefore our lives as as we live out what we've been engaging with for the last few weeks as we've been looking to the story of Joshua. Maybe this is something that you've kind of heard and you may be going like, well, what does this look like? Because here's what we've been saying. Confidence doesn't come from our ability or our talent, but from knowing that God is with us, for us, and working through us. And that God takes full responsibility for the life fully surrendered to Him. And that a life fully surrendered to God, it looks like unreasonable obedience. And the potential danger in that is that we start to think, like, okay, so all I've ever got to do is, like, let go and let God. Have you ever heard that phrase before? You just let go and let God. Or maybe it's, it, it almost sounds like, you know, Jesus, take the wheel. Like, you've got it all. I'm going on autopilot. I'm laying back. You've got the wheel. I'm going to take a nap. You wake me up when we get there because that, because you've got it all in your hands. I don't actually really have to take anything into my hands. So here's the thing, that's obviously kind of a little bit of a silly way to talk or to think, but if, if like our confidence comes from God and takes, and God takes full responsibility for our lives as we submit and surrender to him, it almost sounds like God's really got anything and everything covered. And I don't really have anything that I have to do. Like, there's nothing that's within my responsibility. There's everything is God's responsibility. Nothing really is my responsibility. It's all on God to act. I'm supposed to trust. I'm supposed to be faithful, whatever that means. But I think if, if we're not careful, being faithful can really come off as being passive and letting God do whatever God, you know, God, whatever God's going to do or being, 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 being passive and kind of hiding behind some spiritual language and not taking action when, Ultimately, we, when, when, while we're saying, you know, God's going to take care of it. So it, like, if you, if you track with the story of Joshua to this point, like it kind of paints that picture a little bit, right? You know, crossing the river, God parted the waters, all they had to do was walk. Jericho, God brought the walls down, all they had to do was walk, and then maybe a little bit shout, okay? So maybe the whole deal is I just keep walking and twiddle my thumbs and God's going to do everything for me, and I don't really have any real responsibility to do anything. Is that the point? of the of of the of the story of joshua is that the point of this series and into that window it's into that window that we get the narrative text that we're going to look at today because the reality of life and the reality of following god is that responsibility is absolutely part of the equation and it's not just god's responsibility that's part of the equation it's also our responsibility see our temptation is to think that either we are responsible for everything or god is responsible for everything And those are two polar ends of the spectrum, right? That we're responsible for everything, I'm responsible for everything, you're responsible for everything, or, well, God's responsible for everything, and we just trust him to do whatever he's supposed to do. And see, the truth of how we pioneer and move toward what God has for us actually falls somewhere between those two polar opposites. And today, we get a great, vivid, graphic example of what that looks like from the story of Joshua and the nation of Israel in the immediate aftermath of the victory of Jericho, and we learn some things along the way. In Joshua chapter seven, starting right in the beginning in verse one, this first verse is kind of the whispered backstory that wasn't known to the people living out the events of the story, but it absolutely affected them. And so the whispered backstory would eventually come to be known, but they experienced the consequence of this whispered backstory. So let me whisper this as if these first few verses as if this is the whispered backstory. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan was the son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. So for those of you who were with us last week, you you may remember that the last thing Joshua said to the nation, the last command he gave them before the walls of Jericho fell, was that they were not to take anything as plunder for themselves. They would have burned a city to the ground, not taking any food, any provisions, crops or livestock for themselves. And anything that was made of gold, silver and precious gems was to be devoted to the Lord at the tabernacle. So Achan had disregarded the final command and instruction and had stolen some of these things. And we're told the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Which is a big problem for Israel. That if, you're, if your whole life is built around, we want to be on the side of the Lord. We want to make sure that God is with us, that God is for us, that God is working through us. It's a pretty big deal if the Lord is very angry with you. If the whole thing is God is for Israel, God is with Israel, God is, God is going to work through Israel. And then you find out that God is very angry with Israel. That's a problem. In fact, some of us would go, you know what, if the Lord, I, I'm not entirely sure I want the Lord with me when the Lord is, when the Lord is angry with me. Like, like that, like that's, that's a pretty big problem. And, and, and another big problem is, is simply this, that Israel didn't know at this point, again, this is the whispered backstory. Nobody other than Achan really knew this was even going on. That other big problem is that Israel didn't know the Lord was angry at Israel. Like, that's a pretty big problem. And because they don't know there's a problem, because they don't know that the Lord is angry with them, they move forward confident in their abilities, confident that God is with them, working through them to accomplish what he wants, to accomplish him giving and delivering the promised land to them. And so that they move forward from their victory at Jericho and they spy this area outside of Jericho and they, and they, and they discover and they intend to go take it because it's part of the land that God has promised them. So Joshua, in verse 2, sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai. Now, Ai was a town. It was artificial intelligence, you know, the, 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 the east of Bethel, near beth When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai, since there are so few of them. Don't make all of our people struggle to go up there. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly, defeated. So they, so Joshua hears, we've got this tiny little village up there. It's not going to take our whole fighting force to go up there. Just send a few thousand people. It's going to, we're going to take care of, like, this is not a problem. This is not an issue. We got no issue. Like, like, you could even send the two or three thousand of our worst soldiers because this is, like, this is going to be easy for us after Jericho. But they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai ch- chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites then were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. And this is a simple, like, again, this this isn't the point of where we're going today. This isn't the point of this story, but there is a powerful reminder here that yesterday's victory doesn't guarantee today's success. This is such a powerful truth to remember that what we did yesterday does not guarantee us anything in the future. Being strong in the last season of life doesn't mean that you'll be strong in the next season of life. Excelling in your last season doesn't guarantee that you'll excel in the next season. And some of us, we see what we've done in the past and what happened in the past and where we were and who we were in the past. And we assume that who we were in the past will set us up automatically for success in the next season. But let me just be really practical and maybe, I, I hope this isn't discouraging, I hope this is just you know, truth telling, But coming from a great family, it doesn't guarantee that you'll build a great family. Like, like it just doesn't. Being great at school doesn't mean you'll be great early in your career. Being great at the toddler phase of parenting doesn't guarantee that you'll be great at parenting the school phase. Being a great boyfriend doesn't guarantee that you'll be a great husband. Like, for some of us, we go like, like, oh, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. Like, this is no big deal. I was so good at the last thing. Obviously, I'm going to be great at the next thing. And I just want to remind us today that yesterday's victory doesn't guarantee today's success. And the reason that's so important for us to understand as we talk about pioneering, as we talk about stepping into the next season of life, the next thing that God has for you, the new thing that God has for you, is it's important for us to remember that pioneers must live with a constant dependence on God. Because yesterday doesn't guarantee us anything for today, it's important that every single moment, every single day of our lives, we wake up with a recognition and a hunger going, God, for today, I depend on you. I am not resting on yesterday's success. I'm not depending on yesterday's success. I'm leaning solely into you, into what you have for me, that every day I need his strength, that I need his wisdom in every season. I need his direction in every single moment of my life. And there is no moment of my life where because of yesterday's success, I feel like I'm guaranteed. But every single day of my life, as I walk into today's new and tomorrow's new and whatever new may be in front of me, I remember that I depend fully on God. This is actually what what, Proverbs, uh, in, what Solomon in Proverbs was mentioning, was referring to. This, this temptation that we have to lean on yesterday and to lean on our success in the past for today's success and for today's victory. Solomon in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 7, he wrote, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. What, what Solomon knew and what Joshua was about was, was finding out in this moment was that the moment you get impressed with your own wisdom and start depending on your own understanding and your own ability, the moment that you begin to think, I've got this on my own, you move away from dependence on God and you set yourself up to fail. And Joshua and the nation of Israel learned in a vivid way that yesterday's victory does not guarantee today's success. And that they were not supposed to ever live in such a way that was entirely dependent on themselves, but would rely completely on God and his wisdom and his strength and his direction. Notice in the story, it never says the Lord was angry with, with them. And then he told them to go. No, they saw AI with their own eyes. They made the plan with their own, with, with their own wisdom. And they went up there with their own strength. And everything about that set them up for Failure. Now, back to Joshua 7, we get their reaction and their response to the first time they they have experienced military failure in the promised land. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay, threw dust on their heads and bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. They go into a season of mourning, a, a visual sign of repentance, of mourning over what has happened. They're in full on, God, what do we need to do? What is happening right now? We are praying to God. Then Joshua cried out, Oh, sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we'd been been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they will surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to the honor of your great name? In other words, God, what are you doing? I mean, notice did you notice that like there's not a verse that says you know Joshua's prayer of celebration when the walls of Jericho fell down because of God's you know because because of God's hand at work like this is God now now things have gone poorly what are you doing? We weren't asking, what are you doing when we got unmerited favor, but this is simply something that's so true about us that I wish wasn't true about us, but I know it's true about me, and it's probably true about you as well. We are too eager to take credit when things go our way, and all too eager to pass the blame when they don't. When God is working the way that we think and hope that God should work, we're like, man... God's good. This is exactly what God should be doing. I don't even need to congratulate him on it. I don't even need to celebrate it. This is just what God's supposed to be doing. And then the moment things don't happen the way that we hope and the way that we pray and the way that we saw it happening, we continue, we just go, Blame and God, what's you, like, why would you do this? And why would you have me walk through this? And why would you do, like, why didn't you come through the way that I think that you should come through? But even in this, like, do you notice that Joshua's prayer seems fairly noble, doesn't it? Like, God, what are people going to think about you? God, how are the people supposed to trust you when you brought us to a place where we experienced defeat? God, what will our enemies think of you and your plan for our people? And I think God's up in heaven going, hey, I just want to remind you, you going up there, that was not my plan. And the way you went about it, also not my plan. And the way that you decided to go without consulting me, also not my plan. I I think God would have quite a bit to say about whether or not this was his plan for his people. But here's what happens in verse 10. In response to Joshua, in response to Joshua's noble prayer with with great consideration of the Lord, while while Joshua is going, okay, God, obviously something's gone wrong. What are you going to do about it? God responds to Joshua and says this in verse 10. But the Lord said to Joshua, "Get up! Why are you lying on your face like this?" And here's the translation: it, Because you're like, okay, God told him to, to stand up. The translation of what he's, what God says to Joshua in this moment is, "Stop praying." I mean, th- like, st- have you ever reached a point in your life where you felt like God told you to stop praying? Where God told you that, like, hey, all your all your prayers and all of your tears and all of your mourning and all the ashes and all whatever symbolic things you've been doing and all the crosses that you have on the wall, like, look, stop praying. It's enough. I've I've had enough of it. It's time to stop doing stop doing that. It's time for you to get up. Do you know how weird of a situation you have to be in life for the God who tells us to pray without ceasing to say, but you know what? Cease praying. Like, stop. It's, I've, I've had enough. Here's what's happening here. Joshua thinks there's a spiritual problem. God knows there's a behavior problem. Joshua thinks there's a God's faithfulness problem, that God has somehow failed. God knows there's a follow through on the command problem. Joshua thinks there's a God problem. God knows there's an Israel problem. And so here's the thing. God, in his love, tells Joshua, stop praying. This isn't something that prayer is going to fix. Did you know there are things in your life that prayer is not the answer to, that prayer is not going to fix? That in fact, sometimes there are things in our life that we are hiding behind prayer when we know there is action that we are supposed to take. And in this moment, God decides to open, up, open Joshua's eyes to the real problem, that this is a problem that prayer, all the prayer in the world, is not going to solve, but Joshua is actually responsible to solve for the nation of Israel. So here's what God says. Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now, Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Now, we read that, and this seems harsh, doesn't it? That we know this is one guy who took some things, and, and, and now the whole nation is suffering the consequences of God's anger and God's wrath about the sin that of one person. And let me ask you a question. Is that unfair? Maybe it's unfair. I mean, one person's sin, and now the whole nation is suffering the consequence. Isn't that unfair? And here's the thing, I I actually don't think so, because whether it's the whole nation dealing with the immediate loss in a battle or the nation dealing with the rot that comes from unaddressed disobedience, disunity, divided, divided devotion, sin, whatever you want to call it, the whole nation would eventually suffer. In fact, you could make the argument and I would make the argument that God making this immediate and apparent and drawing a direct line from sin to consequence is incredibly loving and gracious because they did not have to wonder what the problem was. God made it abundantly clear. But the other reason I don't think this is unfair is that while this may seem unfair the way that we, de- that we you know, tend to define fairness, This is actually exactly how life works. And life may not be fair, but life is consistent. And one of the consistent things that we need to understand and that God places on, on full display here is there is no such thing as isolated irresponsibility. Again, I mean, like I'm going to use the word irresponsibility here, but you could put the word sin in here. You could put the word lack of devotion to God. You could put in the word disobedience, but I'm going to choose to use the word irresponsibility because there's no such thing as isolated irresponsibility. You recognize this as a parent for sure, right? Like you give your kid, if you do X, we'll go and get ice cream, and then they don't do X, right? And you got your heart set on ice cream because you promised them ice cream, and you were so excited about getting ice cream, and you thought all they have to do is X, and then we had go and get ice cream. And because the one kid kid didn't do X, you have to wait until everyone in the family goes to bed to get ice cream, right? Like, like yeah, you know, like you deal with the like everyone in the family has to wait about on ice cream. You nobody gets ice cream. Or, you wait until everyone else is in bed to get the ice cream because because they didn't do what they were supposed to do or you're married and your spouse gets irresponsible with finances you weren't irresponsible but their irresponsibility becomes your responsibility right or You've got two roommates, and each of you is responsible for paying one-third of the rent. And all it takes is one roommate missing their one-third payment for you to get threatened with the loss of your apartment. You weren't irresponsible. They were. But their irresponsibility begins to affect and influence your life. And you feel the consequences, and you feel the direct result of their irresponsibility. And Here's what I'm saying. In the same way that, that there is no such thing as isolated irresponsibility from somewhere else, If there's an area of your life as you pioneer, as you're working to step into the new that God has for you, if there's an area of your life where you know you are not living up to your responsibility, where you're being irresponsible, where you're being disobedient, where you're not following the Lord, that's not isolated either. Your irresponsibility will always affect someone beyond you, and chances are pretty good because of their proximity to you that the people who you care about the most will be most affected by your irresponsibility because there is no such thing as isolated irresponsibility ever. So God continues. God tells Joshua what he needs to do, and apparently also Joshua hasn't gotten himself up yet. Get up! Like, like, God's like, I told you to get up, I told you to get off the ground, I told you to get up. I'm telling you a third time, get up. Command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. In the morning, you must present yourselves like tribes, and the Lord will point out the tribe to which the guilty man belongs. That tribe must come forward with its clans, and the Lord will point out the guilty clan. That clan will then come forward, and the Lord will point out the guilty family. Finally, each member of the guilty family must come forward one by one. The one who has stolen what was set apart for destruction will himself be burned with fire, along with everything he has. For he has broken the covenant of the Lord and has done a horrible thing in Israel. And that's the middle of Joshua chapter 7 rest of the story you can read for yourself. God helps them identify the culprit, and Achan eventually confesses to his sin. And then they take the devoted things, they, they go and dig them up, they take them back to Jericho where they're destroyed, and then the nation deals with Achan and his family as God has told them to. And after all of that, God's anger is assuaged, and Israel moves forward and takes Ai easily the next day. And you been thinking, okay, well, why would we read a story like that in the middle of this series on pioneering? And the, the, like we've had so many great stories of success, and you know, do this, and God does, you know, like trust God, and God takes care of this, and trust God, and God takes care of this, and and the whole thing is, you know, trust God, and God will take care of you in the next season of life. In the middle of that, why would we stop and have this story that begins with such disobedience and and, and failure, and begins with the breaking of the covenant and and God deciding to just let the nation fail. Like, why, like, in a, in a series we're talking about how to step into God's new, why would we stand and talk about this? And I think the reason it's so important for us to talk about this is because of the danger that we so often have of of going, well, well I'm just going to trust God. I'm just going to trust God. I don't think God's going to really require anything of me. It's important for For us to understand and be reminded that pioneers take complete responsibility for complete obedience to God, and then trust God completely with the outcome. This is what pioneers do. Pioneers take complete responsibility for complete obedience to God, and they trust God completely with the outcome. See, this is that middle point in between the two extremes of I'm responsible for everything and God's responsible for everything. This is the middle point of that. This is, the, this is finding the correct balance. of I'm going to take complete responsibility for everything that God has told me to be responsible for. And if if there's something that God has told me to be completely responsible for, if God's given me a command, if he's given me instruction, if he's given me wisdom, if he's given me his word, if he's given me a verse that instructs me to do this, then I am completely responsible for that. And I'm going to be completely responsible to completely obey what God has told me to do. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to completely trust God with the outcome of my obedience or the result of my obedience, that I'm going to do Every, I'm going to take whatever action God has told me to take. I'm going to say whatever words God has told me to say. I'm going to go wherever God has told me to do. Like, I am completely, I take complete responsibility for my complete obedience to whatever God has told me to do, to say, to go, like, for every bit of it. And then I'm going to completely—what trust looks like in that is I'm going to completely trust that God takes care of whatever— God has told me to do. This isn't let go and let God. This is take responsibility for what God has told me to take responsibility for and then trust God. This is far better than let go and let God. This is is not Jesus take the wheel. This is Jesus, if you put the wheel in my hands, I'm going to steward it well. I'm going to be responsible for getting the car safely where it's called to go. And God, for whatever goes beyond my ability to do that, I trust you to completely, I trust you completely with whatever the result and whatever the outcome may be. This is that middle point. So here's the question. Have you, complete, have you taken complete responsibility for your complete obedience? Is there any area of your life where you're holding back or hiding from your responsibility and you're maybe even hiding behind some spiritual language or you're hiding behind prayer. Is it an area of your life where you're a little like Joshua and you're acting like there's a spiritual problem but really there's a taking the right action and following God completely problem. If that's the case, let me just tell you what I know about you because I know this has been true about me in seasons of my life. If that's true, chances are pretty good that you don't even recognize it. So, let me give you four questions to ask and these are gonna, I'm just gonna tell you right up right up front. These four questions are gut punches. These are gut punches. So I, I, I'm not gonna I'm not trying to pull any punches here, but I want to let you know this is this is this is hard. These, these questions are hard to hear. they're even harder to embrace and they're even harder to actually sit with long enough to think about if there's an actual answer and to actually answer the question. But I'm telling you if, if taking the right responsibility has been somewhat difficult for you, and you feel like you're responsible because you're because you're thinking spiritually, because you're thinking about God, and you're, and you're trusting God, and you're, you're being spiritual about, about what's going on in your life, I'm just telling you, these are four questions that will move you forward. So here's the four questions. Are you praying God will do something when you haven't been willing to play your part? Like, what's... So many believers I know, like, I'm praying for revival. Okay, well, are are you doing anything that would lead to a revival? Are you taking personal action to, to develop a revival mind or a revival heart, whatever revival looks like? Are you taking personal action? Well, I'm praying neighbors would come, neighbors and people that I work with, I'm praying they would come to know Jesus. And I think that's great. You absolutely should be praying that. But let me ask you this. Have you ever shared your story? Have you shared your faith? Like, are you praying in the background? Well, in the foreground, you're not actually doing anything that would maybe like, you're like, God, I believe God's placed me in this moment so that I could know them so I can pray for them. That's great. But maybe just maybe God also put you in that place so that you could be a person of influence and you can't be a person of influence while keeping your words to yourself, keeping your story to yourself, keeping your faith to yourself. You actually have to open your mouth and share something. Otherwise, all of your prayers may be for nothing. I'm praying, maybe you're praying that God would change their heart and change their behavior. You know, there's someone in your life where there's some uh, there's some there's some behavior, there's a heart issue, there's something going on, you're like, God, I just want you to change their heart, and I want you to change your behavior, but you haven't ever had the difficult conversation about their irresponsibility that you know you need to have. Like. Are you praying for something where you haven't been willing to play your part? And if you're if you're praying for something, then you're not being willing to play your part. I'm just telling you. Unfortunately, you are not living up to responsibility. You are not taking complete responsibility for the complete obedience, and then trusting you're, you're trusting God for an outcome that you are not playing your part to make a reality. Let me ask you the second one. If you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I want any more questions. Let me give you three more. Are you trying to pray your way out of a situation that you have behaved your way into? That's exactly the question I didn't want to hear. That's the gut punch question. Maybe you, let me just tell you some realities of your life. You have behaved your way into the financial situation that you find yourself in. If you've been using credit card debt like crazy, if you've been taking out loans on top of loans, loan to pay off another credit card to pay off the last credit card, and it's transfer, 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 and you don't even realize that you're racking up all kinds of fees. You have behaved your way into the financial situation that you find yourself in. You have behaved your way into the marriage that you have today, for good or bad. And if you're like you, you, if you're praying, maybe if, if you're praying, you know, God, give me a healthy marriage. But you're not doing anything to actually make the marriage healthier. If you're not following what God says is His plan for how husband and wife are supposed to interact with each other. If you're praying that God would bail you out of the financial difficulty that you have found yourself, that you have dug yourself into, but you're not willing to make any financial changes, I'm telling you, you are praying, trying to pray your way out of a situation that you have behaved yourself your way into. And I'm just going to tell you this, as your pastor, with all the love in the world, you have to behave your way out of a situation that you behaved yourself into. Just like you can't talk yourself out of a situation you behaved yourself into, You can't pray your, now, you should pray about the financial situation. You should pray about the marriage. Like some of you, you, it's it's possible that you're praying for a healthy romantic relationship while you're continuing to go to the places where you have found all of your unhealthy past partners. And I'm just telling you, if you're you're praying to do well in school while you're not dedicating time to study, what's true of you is that you are a person of prayer and you're a spiritual person, but unfortunately, you are an irresponsible spiritual person. If you have substituted prayer for taking responsibility, you are not not a responsible person of prayer. You are an irresponsible person who prays. And it's time to stop praying praying for things that you need to behave your way forward. Again, pray all you want. Pray without ceasing. But make sure that you back that prayer up with their action and the responsibility and the obedience to whatever it is that God would have you to take. You're like, I don't want any more questions. Here's number three. Have you been using prayer as a way to avoid an obvious solution? If you're praying for work, but you're not applying for jobs, you are using prayer as a substitute or a way to avoid an obvious solution. If you're praying for your kids, but you're not willing to engage with them, if you're praying for your kids, but you're not willing to discipline them, I'm just telling you, you are you are missing an obvious solution, and you're using prayer as like, well, I'm just praying about it. I'm really praying about this situation with my kids. I'm really praying for work. I'm just telling you, some of you, you're using prayer as a way to avoid or act as if you're being responsible while being irresponsible because you're missing an obvious solution. You're praying for a change in that relationship dynamic while covering for their irresponsibility. There's someone at work where you're going, like, I'm just, like, having to deal with this and deal with their irresponsibility, deal with their irresponsibility, deal with their irresponsibility, and it's crushing me and it's taking me away from my work, and I'm praying that something would change, but you're tolerating and putting up with and empowering their irresponsibility. And the thing that you may need to do, the obvious solution, would be to let their thing fall. Like, I don't like that. I don't like that either. I, I don't like it one bit. But the obvious solution, you're like, I'm just praying for them. I'm praying something changes. Praying something changes. And what God might be saying is like, hey, the thing that needs to change is you stop keeping their plate spinning and let it fall. And they will realize that there are consequences to their irresponsibility, and the consequences do not all have to fall on you? Have you been using prayer as a way to avoid an obvious solution? Here's the fourth one. Have you fully obeyed what God has already told you to do? Chris, you should have stopped after that first one, because these have actually gotten harder and harder and harder. Yeah. Have you fully obeyed what God has already told you to do? See, here's the thing. We are all responsible to the level of our revelation. See, every one of us is responsible for what has been revealed to us. So if God has already addressed it in his word, you don't need to pray about it, right? Yep, wish you would've stopped again before this one. If God has already addressed it in his word, you don't need to pray about it. Let me give you a few things you don't need to pray about. You don't have to pray about whether or not you're supposed to be honest, be honest. You don't have to pray about whether or not to pay your taxes, pay your taxes. You don't have to pray about whether or not to love your wife or respect your husband. Love your wife and respect your husband. You do not need to pray about having sex outside of or before marriage. You do not need to pray about whether or not you're supposed to stay faithful to your spouse. You don't have to pray about these things. These things have already been revealed in God's word. You don't have to pray about whether or not you're whether or not you're supposed to tell the truth when, when you're speaking to the police. Like that, like you don't bear false witness. This is this is the, like we are all responsible to what's been for for what's been revealed to us. And some of us. It's, it's the stuff that's in God's Word. For some of you, there's a thing that God has spoken to you about. And he said, this is what you are to do. And you did it once, but you didn't keep doing it. And the thing that, that is holding you back in this very moment of your life is that you took responsibility once, but you didn't take complete responsibility. And so the question is, have you fully obeyed? Have you continuously obeyed? Have you obeyed until God told you to stop? What God, what, what doing? What God has already told you to do? Are you willing to be a person who takes complete responsibility for your complete obedience and watch as God take complete responsibility for the outcome and for the results? See, here's why this is so important. As we talk about stepping into the new that God is calling us to. Sometimes what will open the door into that new is our willingness to handle and take responsibility for what God has called us to take responsibility for. Just like the nation of Israel couldn't move forward until they had dealt with this, you may not be able to move forward until you deal with that thing that you need to deal with. But the second that you take complete responsibility for your complete obedience— The second that you do everything that you're called to do, the second you stop hiding hiding behind spiritual language and avoiding obvious solutions, the second that you stop trying to pray your way out of a situation that you behaved your way into, God takes full responsibility for the outcome, and God does what only God can do. And God moves you through the open door that became open because of your obedience and because of you taking responsibility for what God has asked you to take responsibility for. And when God takes control, and when God moves you, and God when God pushes you, and when God opens the door all of the way, I'm just telling you, He moves you forward towards what He has for you. And if you want to pioneer, if you want to step faithfully into whatever God has called you to step, step into, whether it be as a parent, whether it be as a married person, whether it be in your career or your education or whatever other area of your life, if you want to pioneer with confidence, That starts with aligning yourself with God by taking complete responsibility for your complete obedience. And when you do that, God will take full responsibility for the outcome and for the result of your obedience. So let's stop hiding behind spiritual language. Let's stop ignoring the real problems and ignoring when we know the real solution. Let's stop doing all of that and let's simply decide to be pioneers who take complete responsibility for our complete obedience. And watch as God does what only God can do as he takes complete responsibility for every outcome of our lives. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for your wisdom. And thank you for these challenging words, this challenging idea. God, for some of us right now, the whole thing is is it's time for us to stop praying and it's time for us to take action. It's time for us to stop hiding behind spiritual language. and It's time for us to take action. It's time for us to stop avoiding obvious solutions, and because we desire some more complicated spiritual thing, it's time for us to simply do what you've called us to do. And so, God, today, as we as we talk about pioneering, as we think about pioneering, as we move into new stages of life, as parents, as 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 married people, as as people in our careers, as. As divorced people, as as people in our community, God, I pray that whatever new thing you're calling us to, I pray that we would make the decision right here and right now that no matter what you call us to, whether it's simple, whether it's complicated, whether it's difficult, whether it's easy, I pray that we would be people who take full responsibility for our complete obedience. And God, I thank you that as we do that, you will take complete responsibility for every outcome in our lives. So God, have your way in us, have your way through us. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you are for us. We thank you that you want to work through us. And God, I pray that we would be people who are willing to work as you work through us. God, help us to take full responsibility, complete responsibility for our complete obedience and watch as you do what only you can do and take full responsibility for every outcome of our lives. We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.